Boy, we want him to do that in our lives, don't we? To break through, as only God can do that, and he makes a difference in who we are. And uh, if you were here at VBS this week, you had an amazing week. It was just uh, super and uh, a great time. I'm going to give you kind of a trailer this morning, I think, for our message. Uh, just kind of set the tone for next week, and we're going to come back to it because we have communion and a couple of other things I want to share with you a little later. But uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20, and we are going to be looking at the seventh commandment, the seventh commandment. We've been working through the Ten Commandments, and I think it's important. God says these are things that should set direction and guidance for our lives. These are certain commands that we should follow, and they are strong commandments. They're, they're not just kind of a, a suggested idea. Hey, why don't you try this out? Why don't you to work at this? It's the idea that we are to follow these commandments. And they were certainly given to the nation of Israel, but we find that all of them except the dealing with the Sabbath are in the New Testament, and they relate to us, and God gives direction. And uh, sixth commandment, we looked at the last week, we talked about the idea of uh, you shall not murder and uh, just the importance of that and how it relates. And, and a lot of times we don't think about some of the aspects of murder and how it affects us. And we talked a lot about the issue of abortion last week. And then there's uh, the Eighth Commandment is going to be thou shalt not steal or you shall not steal. I see I got that old King James there. I can't get rid of the thou's. But you shall not steal. You're not supposed to take anything that's not yours. In between, though, is this commandment we're going to be looking at today. There was a little boy that found a book in his parents' library, and it looked like it was probably the 1800s. It, it was that gilded edge on the page, and it was the big uh, ornate letters, and he understood commandment number six. It was it was the Ten Commandments. That's what it was written on the cover. See, he understood commandment number six. It says, you shall not murder. Thou shalt not murder. Better get it back to the King James and he understood the Eighth Commandment, thou shalt not steal. But he was probably about seven or eight, uh, old enough to read, but he didn't understand it all. And he said, uh, I, don't, I don't get this one, thou shalt not commit adultery. What is adultery? Nobody had ever really told him at that point what adultery meant and what it was. And he began to study it. He began to look at it and say, what does it really mean? What does it say? Adultery had the word adult in it. Thou shalt not adult. And he came to the conclusion it meant for kids, you shall not be like an adult. You shall not act like an adult. Well, if you go back and study the word adultery, you'll find that it does not come from the same root as being an adult. It comes from a different root. And if you look at the definition of adultery, it means for a married person to have intercourse with someone besides their own spouse. It says we're not supposed to do that. If there are two married people together and they're not married to one another and they're having that relationship, that's double adultery according to one, one article I read. But God says we're not to do that. And I think of adultery and I think, wow. It's not uncommon today if you open your computer and you go on and you begin to look at what happens with all of the people in the Hollywood. It's not an uncommon thing. In fact, they have full pages dedicated to who's faithful and who isn't faithful and what's going on and what's taking place. 
But I think, uh, boy, adultery has to be one of the most devastating things to commit yourself, your life, to another person and to commit for life. If you go through premarital counseling with me, that's one thing I'm going to ask you, to make a commitment to one another for life. Faithful to the end, and yet be betrayed by that person. And it's kind of like somebody coming up, and when you're not ready, they just hit you in the stomach as hard as they can, and your wind goes out, and you're devastated. Because you don't expect it. It's it's not what you ever desired. And you know, adultery is easier to get involved in today than probably any time in history. All you have to do is go online. And you can go on one of those dating sites. I was looking it up this week, uh, some of the different dating sites that they have there. If you want to have an affair, they have a dating site just for you. In fact, they have several of them where married people put their names in and they said, we'll be discreet, we won't tell anybody. Nobody will find out, and you can, you can set a relationship, and you can get together, and it can either be just emotional over line, or you can go and meet each other someplace. I thought, wow, married couples are going to do that? Married individuals are going to do that? And then I found another site that said, beware of those. A lot of them are scams. said one of them was a, a private investigator, and he set it up just so he can catch people. Uh I'm not telling you that to warn you. I'm saying don't get involved in it. <laughs> don't do it. But it amazes me when we live in a society that has reduced itself to that point. Where if you're not happy at home and you want another fling and you want to get out there and you want to do something, all you have to do is go online and there is a site for you. And unfaithfulness, infidelity is devastating. Let me read some statistics for you. This is an article was written in 2017. Talks about infidelity statistics. In over a third of the marriages, one or both partners admit to cheating. So if I were to go out on the street, hopefully it's not too here. I would not expect it to be, but I would line three people up and said, you cheated, one at least would step forward. 22% of men say they've cheated on their significant other. That's the term we use now for married or someone you're living with, their significant other, they've cheated on them. That's about one out of five. So if we had five men stand up, one would step forward. Yeah, I'm that person. 14% of women admit to cheating on their significant other. That means that if I have seven women and one steps forward, that's the person that's done that. 36% of men and women admit to having an affair with a co-worker. You begin to say, am I sure I want my spouse to go to work? One in three. Boy, that's so easy to happen. We get placed today with people of the opposite sex and we are just maybe one or two, a man and a woman, there together. I think for police officers, when their partner is a female, I know of a person, and it's a devastating situation. It happens in all kinds of jobs. And, and you know, you, you go to work and maybe you're in an office and this gal comes in and she works there. Maybe she is 
working there as a, some kind of a secretary or financial position or office manager, or maybe she's your co-worker, she has the same job as you do, or maybe she's your boss. Maybe he is. But let's take it from a male to a female because I relate to that better. And she's dressed to the T and she looks good and she is ready for work every day and her hair's perfect and her makeup's perfect and then he goes home to his wife and she's been there with the kids all day and she doesn't have much makeup on and her hair's kind of disheveled. Gal at work's doing everything that he needs her to do and goes home and the wife says, can you take care of this and this and this and this? And she's got on her old jeans and a t-shirt or whatever and you know, all of a sudden he's looking at the one who is so helpful and the other one that came home and she isn't quite there because she's been busy taking care of his kids and his house and his home and doing the work that needs to be done there. And his mind kind of goes different directions. 36% of men and women admit to having an affair with a co-worker. 17% of men and women admit to having an affair. This one grosses me out. 17% of men and women admit to having an affair with a sister-in-law or brother-in-law. No way, babe. Know your sister. Know your sister. No way. Not going to happen. Almost 20%. Almost one in five. People who have cheated before are three. This, this percentage boggles my mind. Three people who have cheated before are 350% more likely to cheat again than someone who hasn't. You know, that, that kind of makes you think, if, if my spouse has been unfaithful, do we try? I have seen marriages where one or the other has been unfaithful, and we sat down and we worked through it, and they've reestablished a strong relationship, and it's remained faithful. But I have talked to others who one year they come in, and the next year they came in with the same problem, and the next year, and the marriage dissolved. Affairs are most likely to occur two years into the marriage. We've been married quite a while. Probably won't happen now, babe. 35% of men and women admit to cheating while on a business trip. They're away from home. Nobody's there to see. 9% of men admit that they might have an affair to get back at their spouse. She does it. He'll get back at her. Boy, I'll, I'll show her. Now, listen, women are more vindictive. 14% of women admit they might have an affair to get back at their spouse. That's mean, ladies. 10% of affairs begin online. I, I'm just going to say something. Beware of your computer. There are some really good things you can get off your computer. It is a wonderful help. It is a super support. I can go do research I could never do before. But I'll tell you, there are so many people that get in trouble with that little laptop or their phone or whatever else because there are just so many opportunities there that you can get in trouble with. Adultery is... Uh, Boy, it's a relationship killer. Uh, it kills marriages. It kills families. It destroys parent and child relationships. It 
And if it becomes bad enough, I'll tell you what, the family is the foundation of a culture. It is the foundation of a society. And when the family breaks up, your culture will begin to break up too. And it will fall apart. And so adultery is a, is a terrible thing. It, it really has an effect. I, I remember after Darlene and I were married, there was the denial issue. I said, well, I'll never be unfaithful. She said she would never be unfaithful. That wasn't going to be a problem for us. We'd, we had it together. Oh, this was so good. And you know, that's denial. Because it's a person who denies it, set themselves up for when the opportunity comes, they're not ready for it. And I remember when I went into the ministry and I began to see pastors falling to adultery. And their marriages were destroyed and their pastorates were destroyed. And they weren't ever, back when I first started, if you had an affair or if you were divorced, you didn't go back in the ministry. It was through. Today, we restructure and we help people and they come back. But, boy... I, I was determined. That had never happened to me. And then I saw these others. And I would tell you today to evaluate your life because I don't think any of us are infallible. I think any of us may find ourselves, if we're not ready, if we're not prepared, fall into a situation we're not ready for. And we can become unfaithful. I would hope that will never happen to you. If it has happened, I know that God forgives, and that's a wonderful thing. But I had to come to a point where I said, well, I'm no better than that man, and I'm no better than that man, and I'm no better than that individuals. And if a hundred, if 13, or I'll get it, if a third, per, third of all marriages, one or both of the partners admit to cheating, wow, even though I am totally committed today to not doing that, it doesn't mean it couldn't happen in the future. And I think every one of us has to beware. Every one of us has to guard our hearts. Every one of us have to guard where we are and who we are and who we're with and, and what circumstances we find ourselves in. When uh, I want to go back to Second Samuel. Second Samuel is the story of David and Bathsheba. And there's an interesting situation here because... You know, 2 Samuel 11, David was a man after God's own heart. He was a man who God had made a promise, there will never be a time when there isn't a king from your line in control of Israel. It'll always be there. And yet, it happened to David. And you know what? It After David had an affair, and uh, he lost his child in that, from that affair, he had one son that adopted or that raped his half sister. He had another son that killed that half brother. That same brother led the nation in revolt against David. David never really had peace in his family after that. Part of it was because I think David was so caught up being a great king that he was not necessarily a great father. Uh, back then they had multiple wives. It's hard to make everybody happy. He had concubines. He had no reason to need anybody else. He'd just go over to the harem and he would have been fine. 
1 Samuel or 2 Samuel 11, it says, Then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle. This is the norm. This is what they do. They lead their, their forces. It happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon, and they besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. I think he was bored. I I don't think he meant to have an affair. I don't think he meant to have a relationship. I think David was not where he was supposed to be. He was supposed to be leading the troops. And instead he stayed home. He didn't go. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. I, I think when we put ourselves in that kind of position, we open ourselves up to getting involved in things we shouldn't do. In verse 2 it says, Now when the evening came, David arose from the bed. (laughs) I think that's interesting. He was having a nap. When evening came, David arose from his bed, and he walked around the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. Um, I don't know if she knew that David was going to look over the side of the palace. Some people would say that may have been the case. I don't know. But David looked over and he saw that woman. And I'll tell you what, when it comes to adultery, you see the woman you like, get out of there. You see the man you like, get out of there. Don't stay there. But David kept looking. So David sent and he inquired about the woman. And the one said, and one said, oh, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam? You know Eliam, David. You know, he's, he's one of your men and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Wow, he's one of your mighty men, David. David, don't look. There were all kinds of signs there for David that he shouldn't be involved with, your, with, with Bathsheba. But David sent messengers and he took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her, and when she was purified, had purified herself from her uncleanliness, uncleanness, she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, and said, I am pregnant. There are consequences to our actions. There's consequences to adultery. David had every opportunity to walk away and say, I'm not going to be involved in that relationship. I'm not going to be involved with Bathsheba. But he didn't. And then not only did he not have to live with the guilt of what he had done, but he had to live with the fact that she was pregnant. What was she going to do? How was he going to hide this? How was he going to make sure nobody knew about it? And so you know the plan. David sent for Uriah. said, hey, send him on in. I'll send him down with his wife. And nobody will know what's my child. But Uriah was better than David. And he said, no, my, my, my companions are out fighting the war. I can't do this. I can't go down there. I can't be with my wife while they're out there in the field. David, I can't do it. And so it went from lusting after a woman, taking a bath, to acting on that lust, to having an immoral relationship, to finding out there are consequences. You have a child coming, bringing in the father. He won't do anything. And David sent him back with the message to the commander to have him killed. You see, our our actions, when we act upon our lust, our thoughts, our, our desires, oftentimes have consequences, and then we have to pay the penalty. 
David's child died shortly after he was born. And I don't believe that David's life ever came back from that. We understand that when I look at David, I doubt that he stayed home from war with the idea that I'm going to get involved in an affair with somebody else's wife. I'm going to commit adultery. I don't think that was David's intent at all. Knowing David, he was a man after God's heart. I think he had the desire to do that which God desired. And yet he fell. I'm going to go on with the message tomorrow or next week as we get into it. But I want you to understand something. A lot of times we look at commands like this, and this is what I want you to get today. And we say, that'll never happen to me. That'll never happen to my wife. That'll never happen to my kids. That'll never happen in my family. And we go into denial, and I think that's where David was. And when we do that, we become vulnerable. We become vulnerable. And sin creeps in. And adultery is so destructive. It destroys people. When we're unfaithful, our spouse who has committed herself or himself to us completely, they're not ready for it. And it destroys. It destroys who we are, and I'm going to get into it next week, but it isn't just our relationship with our spouse. It's also with our kids because they struggle with forgiving as well. And so we have to be aware. People today say, oh, it's okay. It's, it's, it's the sin without victims. It's two consenting adults. But there's a lot of victims. Pastors that have affairs find that they put the faith of people in their church in jeopardy because they were so, they respected that pastor. His marriage is the one that really sets the direction for ours. And then he falls. And so we're going to come back next week and I'm going to talk about how to deal with with adultery. We're going to talk a little more. I'm going to read you some scriptures and go through those scriptures about what God says about our relationship as husbands and wives, uh, what God wants in terms of a, a husband and wife relationship. We're going to talk about how to uh, put a list together of why I shouldn't. You know, that was something I did years ago. I sat down and I wrote down, if, if I had an affair, who would it hurt? What would it hurt? What would be the problem? Because I needed to know what the consequences were going to be for my actions. And we're going to talk about that, and then I'm going to talk about six things that you can do to begin to uh, protect your marriage from adultery. And then the last thing I want to talk about next week is the fact that it's not the unpardonable sin. That doesn't have to be the end, uh, either with God or with your spouse. And so we're going to talk about how you put it back together. So be sure to be here. Uh, I think it's important. This is an issue that I don't want to just run through and 
we do have communion yet today and a couple of other things. So uh, I want to take some time next week and be able to spend a little more time with it. It's an intense uh, issue for us to deal with, but it's an important one in the culture and society in which we live, uh, in which we see people all the time, whether they're politicians or actors and actresses or the guy next door or the pastor who fall as a result of this, not expecting it's going to be a problem. Uh, Let's have a word of prayer, and then we will... uh, prepare for communion. Father, thanks. Thanks for today. This is a, a little bit of an overwhelming subject uh, that we're talking about. I, uh, I just was dealing with all of the issues of, of what you say are wrong sexually, physically, and it's not just, it's not just adultery. There's the, the issue of fornication, sex outside of marriage for people that aren't married. Uh, there's the issue of lust, letting our minds run wild with thoughts and ideas that aren't right with others. But Father, right now it's adultery you're talking about and it's marriage. And, and I know that if... if If there's adultery in the home, it it destroys that relationship. It destroys the family. And it destroys others. And so, Father, help us to be understanding and serious and and know what you have to tell us uh, this next week as we come back and we finish this this sermon on, on adultery. Help us to be aware of what you want to teach. Thank you, Father. Now as we come to the communion service, uh, prepare our hearts, prepare our minds to come before you with, with pure hearts, pure thoughts, pure attitudes to reflect back on what Jesus Christ did for us at the cross because he paid the penalty for our sins to look forward to what we have for the future because he's prepared a place for us. And communion is so special, Father. Help us never take it lightly to just dive in and get out, but take time to reflect on what it truly means from a view of the past and a view to the future. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.